Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. All right, everyone. Thanks for coming and checking out another episode of the Electrify News podcast. I'm your host, Joe Boris, and I'm here today with automotive industry legend, Matt DeLorenzo. How you doing, Matt? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Oh, thanks for being on, man. I mean, I've seen your uh, I've seen your name on many mastheads and bylines of uh, things that I've appreciated over the years. Um, rather than kind of try to tell your story for you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for people who are listening who who may not be aware of who you are? Yeah, I've been covering um, the automotive scene since uh, I, I can't believe this 1977. I work for a bunch of different publications, ranging from uh, trade. Trade books like Automotive Fleet and Automotive News. Um, I was editor of Auto Week, um, editor in chief at Road and Track. I spent uh, about eight years at Kelly Blue Book as a senior editor, and about a year ago, I I kind of retired from Kelly Blue Book. But as 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 auto journalists are, you never retire. You like to write. I, I love cars, and I started um, contributing to a website called Auto Evolution. But I needed a personal car, and I thought, well, why don't I get an electric car. So I bought, right. a, I bought a Nissan Leaf and I, and I decided that I, I really wanted to write a book. Um, two, two reasons. One, to kind of introduce people to the world of, of EVs, but also the fact that um, a lot of the ads and stuff you see on TV are for, you know, Hummers and, you know, Teslas and really expensive EVs. And I've been kind of a tightwad my whole life. I've I've had access to every kind of car from you know. But when I buy my own personal car, I'm 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 cheap. So I decided I was going to find an affordable electric car. So I ended up buying a Nissan Leaf, and um, that formed the basis for this book I I self published um, uh, la- uh, mid mid last year last June called um, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car: Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. So, um, and that's what brings me here today. Yeah, exactly. And now I just got, I, I just got the book. Thank you so much for sending me a sample. I'm definitely going to check it out and I'll put some reviews on it out there. Um, when, when I get a chance to go through it, but you know, you, you bring up a good point. There's so much conversation about price parity and, you know, the, the idea that electric cars are more, not only more expensive than internal combustion, but necessarily more expensive than internal combustion. And, you know, what we've seen in the last two years, you know, with GM dropping the price and cutting prices on the Chevy Bolt. And when you look at something like a Tesla Model 3 or a Model Y specifically, that has the highest profit margins in the industry where they can drop the price $7,500 and still have the highest profit Mm -hmm. margin in the industry. I mean, are we at a point where we can say that you know, there are affordable options out there that that, that, are, that do have price parity? Um, I wouldn't say exactly price parity. It's get, it, it, it's not as, as, as wide. Backing up a little bit, Kelly Blue Book says that the average transaction price for an EV is over $60,000. Sure. So part of it is um, the insistence on the manufacturers to get into this business with higher price vehicles, uh, big SUVs, pickup trucks, things like that. But there's this subset under there where there are some affordable under $40,000 SUVs like the um, Hyundai Kona, um, the Kia Nero, the Leaf that I bought, the Bolt. Um, 
and so um, those vehicles are really a pathway in the EV for people who are, you know, average or less than average price buyers of cars, mm-hmm. entry level type people. Uh, if you look at the Kona, there's still probably about a seven to ten thousand dollar price difference between a gas, and a pure gas, and an all electric version, um, and the hybrid land somewhere in between. That's not to say that you can't afford one. the The problem is that everybody is so fixated on range. Is that like in racing? You know the old saying: "How fast do you want to go? How much do you want to spend?" The same thing is true in electric vehicles. It's how far do you want to go? How much do you want to spend? So if if you want anything that approaches the range of a of a gas vehicle that gets maybe 300 miles on a tank of gas, you're going to be spending in excess of forty five fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, how that doesn't mean that, that you can't you can't get by with an electric car that has less than that mileage, and that's that's the barrier. That's the thing that we're kind of dealing with with people right now is figuring out. You know, how far can you go and and can it still be of use to you? Yeah. You know, we were talking about that a little bit uh, before the show, a little bit my background in motorsports. And, you know, when I was at Consulier with uh, Warren Mosler, Mosler Autosport at that time, you know, there there was some work with a company called U.S. Electric Car where we were building electric Consuliers. And there was, I remember Jim Quick was the engineer. He had a sign above his desk. It said, electric cars, fast, far, cheap, choose any two. So, I, <laughs> so to that end, yeah. and in the spirit of that conversation, um, you know, we talk about the Kia Nero being EV being the most expensive version of that line. We talk about, you know, the Tesla Model Three and Model Y being above the average transaction price. If you look at the performance that those cars deliver. In the olden days, right? Well, quote unquote, olden days, oh, yeah. like 20 years ago. If you wanted to achieve that kind of performance that we now consider a baseline level of performance, and we're talking five, 600 horsepower, zero to 60 times in four yeah. seconds, that used to be, you know, when I was a kid, I remember reading an article in Motor Trend called the Four Second Club. <laughs> and they were talking about the Ferrari yeah. F40 and the Lamborghini Diablo. And these were the cars that could get to zero to 60 in under 5.0 seconds. And that was, you know, you were spending big money. The performance upgrade, the quality upgrade that you get from switching to EV, you know, do you think there's a market for something that has like, I don't know, 160 horsepower equivalent performance, but just happens to have an EV? And if so, would that allow us, you think, to bring down the cost or or is the cost of the motor, you know, and, and getting that kind of performance so negligible at this point compared to the cost of the battery? It's all in the cost of the battery, you know, yeah. the motor, the, the performance is spectacular. I think that that's one of the great things um, people will discover once they get into an EV is that the driving experience is really a lot of fun. Even if you get like me, I got the, I got the Leaf S with 149 mile range. Um, it, it drives great. I enjoy driving it. The, the problem is that I can't, you know, if I want to go, uh, make a day's trip of over 200 miles, there's going to be a recharging event somewhere along the way mm-hmm. there. Um, but, but the other 364 that, days a year, it works fine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think that that's the thing is that people's thinking has to change on their expectations of what they're getting when they get an, an EV. And I think you can't use 
range as the sole determining factor to drive. It's like saying, I'm going to buy my car based on how big the gas tank is. Right. Literally. That's what oh, you're yeah. saying with the battery. 100%. And that's where all the expenses, the expense in a gas car isn't, isn't in the gas tank. It isn't an EV because of the battery. That said, you have a gas station in your garage every night. So yeah, I may have 149 mile range, but if I'm driving a lot of miles back and forth, I'll plug in every night and I'll be fine. I don't, you know, it, it takes a minute or two just to plug in and, and, and that's good. And a smaller battery, shorter range takes less time to recharge. So my Leaf, for instance, um, I can get a, a full level two charge in about seven hours. Yeah. Um, so over at a fast charging, I can get a full charge in 45 minutes to an hour. Right. And, and so, that kind of brings up the other point is, you know, right. there's so many people who say, well, I don't have a garage or I street park, you know, in the city. Mm -hmm. How am I going to charge up? It's like you do go places. There are places that you go in your weekly routine that have fast charging, whether that's the gym or Target right. or grocery shopping at Whole Foods. You right. can plug in there and you can, you know, while you're doing your your weekly routine, that's just where you fill up your tank now. And then you're right. driving we, and, 20, 30 miles a day. If that, if you live in a city, you're probably driving five. Sure. And that's why they're great for an urban environment. I mean, I, mm -hmm. you know, like a big city like Chicago, something like that, uh, an EV, you can get by if you don't have access to charging where you park the car overnight. Um, but again, it's, 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 there's a whole, there's a whole range of options available out there. I view, some people view electric vehicles as the answer. I think it's one of several answers because if you live in a suburban area or you live in a rural area, I, I would say um, uh, you probably would be more interested in a plug-in hybrid as opposed to a, a pure hybrid if you want to keep the cost down. Um, in our household, we actually we own um, the Leaf EV and we have a Hyundai Ionic plug-in hybrid that, that, that'll go 30 miles on a charge. And uh, the beauty is that now that I've been able to um, get an adapter for my level two um, charger that I use for the Leaf, I plug in the, uh, the Ionic and what used to take six hours to replenish that battery takes three hours, two and a half, three hours. So yeah. um, we can effectively use the other car for daily trips and errands as an electric vehicle. But if we really need to go somewhere um, where where charging would be an issue, we jump into the Ionic and we take off and drive like a regular hybrid. Right. And then, you know, you've, you've put yourself in an interesting position because, you know, I have recently been asked whether or not I would recommend a Nissan Leaf to someone because of the proliferation, I think is the right word of the, uh, of the, you know, CCS charging J1772, mm -hmm. which is not the, the Chatham, which is not the Nissan standard. Um, and, and I think I've said, Kind of the same thing is, you know, if you're, if you're around town, it's your second car. Yeah. Great. If you're looking at it to do a road trip or you're really depending on it to get you where you need to go, maybe that's not the number one choice. Have you found it more or less difficult to find, uh, you know, Nissan leaf functional charging? Um, I, I, well, one of the things, and this is appeals to the Taiwan nature in me is when I bought my car, I got a $250 credit at EV go. So that's what I've been doing. I've been going to EVgo stations, and they and they do they do carry the uh, the Nissan standard. Yeah, that's an issue. And one of the things I've actually been looking into is is whether or not there's going to be adapters for that 
and I've talked to Nissan, and I think they're working on um, a solution. So even if I have to pay a hundred or two hundred dollars to get an adapter that will allow a CCS to plug into the into the Chadmo, um, yeah, I I do that just to make sure that um, I I can um, I can always get a charge if I if I need it. I think EVgo is committed to that standard. Um, they're going to keep it around for a while. Yeah, well, they have a contract, um, I think, that they have to keep right, it around for a little while. Right, right, So I, I'm not, you know, and there's a EVgo station. I, I don't know, it's like five or six miles from my house. So I that's where I go to when I want to uh, get a fast charge. The, the other thing I think um, that this addresses is that the infrastructure still needs a ways to go. Uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of stories about people going to um, charging locations and, you know, the chargers aren't, aren't in service. And mm-hmm. I, I've encountered that only once um, uh, so far in my ownership of about a year. But I can see where that's an issue. And, and we certainly need a, a, a much a more robust infrastructure in terms of public charging. And I think it'll come. But it's, yeah. it's, still, not, it's still not there yet. Do you think that some of that, and and I say this as a pseudo journalist myself, do you think that some of that is kind of the fault of the media? Because I don't see an article in my local paper when the gas station on the corner, you know, the shell station on the corner, one of the pumps is down. I, I don't get an article about that. I don't see angry tweets about it. You know, when when there's a line 45 minutes long outside of the Costco on Sunday after church and everybody's trying to gas up the car for the week, I don't see an article or anybody tweeting angrily about like, man, gas cars are never going to take off. Look at this line for people waiting to fill up. Um, do you think there is some of that kind of um, myopic? No, because or- no, because I think that if that one gas pump doesn't work, there's there's 11 other gas pumps at the station. Or mm-hmm. another station down the block. I, I think it's still the infrastructure. It's just it's just a fact of life that the infrastructure is not as robust as um, public infrastructure as as gasoline. You know, there there aren't as many electric vehicles out there. There are many more gas vehicles. By the same token, you don't have a gas. Most people don't have a gas pump in their garage <laughs> or access to a gas pump at home. <laughs> Right. So, so that's, that's really the advantage. That's really the advantage of the EV is that if you can make it home or you go, you, you operate from your home base and you do have level two charging, um, it's not a huge inconvenience or situation to, to replenish the battery. Um, it's just, like I said, the public infrastructure still needs to grow. Um, if there's only four, char- I mean, I go, you know, it's funny. I go to the mission Viejo, um, shops at Mission Viejo to charge at an EVgo station. There's a Costco line for the Tesla supercharger. <laughs> and I kind of laugh because oh, yeah. I'm, putt- I'm putting along in my little cheapo, you know, leaf and I just pull right up and I plug right in and there's like, you know, six Teslas waiting to use the superchargers. So uh, those kinds of disruptions are, are necessarily going to happen with the new technology. But I'm optimistic that, that a lot of that stuff um, will be sorted out as more stations uh, grow, that there are more vehicles out on the road because there's money to be made. And these, right. there's new right. companies every day. I mean, Mercedes just announced that they're going to start their own um, charging network. So um, we'll see what the future holds. 
Yeah, I think that's a smart play by Mercedes. We talk a lot about this, you know, in other contexts about how one of the things that Tesla did that I think was very smart was that they created an environment, a charging experience that they could control so that they could control a little bit that customer experience. And they're software guys, they're app guys, they're Silicon Valley guys. They understood the customer experience in a different way than say Ford or Toyota, whose customer experience involves the bumper, not falling off the car. Right. But it, they did get some things right. So when Ford builds a wonderful electric car, when BMW builds a wonderful electric car, when Polestar builds a wonderful electric car, and those they're all their products, I think are really good. And I think product to product, probably better than the Tesla in, in my experience. Um, but the charging experience, they've left that to the control or to the whims of a third party. Right. And, and it's just not been good. You, know, you would never see an OEM say, well, we're just going to sell the car and, you know, an internal combustion car. And when it needs service, they'll take it to Jiffy Lube and it'll be fine. <laughs> they would never well, allow that. Well, you know, I, I, I think that really speaks to the success or failure of, of not only Tesla, but electric vehicles. Uh, in general, because if Tesla had not done that and failed, I don't think we would be as far along the electric road as we are right now. Oh no, we're having and this I, and conversation I, and, because and, of Tesla. Right, right, and 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 I think I think I agree with you. I think that they, they were far sighted enough because they realized that they had a different product that they were selling and it needed different support, whereas. Um, the, the current manufacturer's mindset is building electric cars, selling electric cars, just like they do gas cars. And, and they, the, the, the critical component, gas station infrastructure, it just isn't there. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that, that that's, one of the, that's one of the keys to their success and their longevity, by the way, is the fact that that charging network is there. Um, there can be a lot of, EV makers who come and go who will actually fail um, uh, simply because their product can't stand alone and they don't have an infrastructure, a charging infrastructure to help support those vehicles. So it's it's a whole new world. And, and a lot more thought has to go into um, not only manufacturing, but sales and aftermarket support. And, and I think Tesla has probably hit 80% of those, I think they still have some service issues and some other things uh, going on. But the, the the key is the recharging thing. The fact that they built yeah. that network to support their vehicles um, is a big component in their success today. Now, you made uh, an interesting comment there. You, you said the sales process. You said the service process. Uh, you know, in, in your book, which is how to buy an affordable electric car, do you coach people about how to go through the sales process and how to maybe ignore some yeah. of the misinformation they might receive? Well, I, I, I take it from a more practical and I use some of my experience at Kelly Blue Book on, on actually how, how do you search for a car, uh, do a lot of your uh, homework online. Uh, you can actually look at dealers' inventories and, and get a, a general idea. So when I when I bought my Leaf, I, I looked at about four dealerships uh, in my neighborhood, and I found the color of the car I wanted, the you know uh, uh, the the price, the level. I wanted the bay. I wanted the cheapest, keeping in with the tight wad theme, the cheapest one available, which was uh, around twenty seven thousand, twenty seven three hundred, and um, 
I did probably about half of the, the, the work in finding the car, qual- you know, putting in my data and stuff like that. So that when I went to the dealership, it was about an hour and a half process. And I drove out of there with a the car. So that that part of it not only applies to electric vehicles, but a lot of that stuff that you can do if you're buying a plug-in hybrid, a hybrid, or even a regular gas car. So that that was one component in there. The other thing in there uh, in the book that I talk about are the differences in in maintenance. Uh, the maintenance costs are less, but there are still are there's maintenance things that you do have to attend to that sure. uh, people don't know. Uh, for instance, with my Nissan Leaf, I need to get a battery check every year at the dealership in order for the battery warranty to remain valid. People don't understand that. And they'll give you the first two free. Mm-hmm. After that, they're going to start charging you. But that's, you know, that's an expense you have to figure out. But sure. I don't have oil changes. Um, there are things, uh, there are issues like with the brakes. People don't understand. Well, why would you have, you know, brake it? Why, why are you changing the brake fluid every 30,000 miles? Well, brake fluid has an affinity for water. And the problem is that you use so much regenerative braking, a lot of times your braking system doesn't get hot enough to boil the water off. So one of the things that they want to do is to make sure that you change the fluid more regularly mm-hmm. than you would with a gas car, which relies more heavily on the brakes, um, so you don't get any corrosion or any, any um, contamination of the, of the braking system. So there are things, you know, my, you know, a lot of people don't realize my EV has a 12-volt battery and 12-volt electrical architecture for the accessories and all that. And that's a battery that can go bad after so many years, and you need to replace that. Oh, yeah. So You might be in a position where you need need someone to jumpstart your 12-volt. But that's real. we, we, We had a Prius. I learned that. I didn't know that. You know, and I've been, you know, we left the dome light on and I, and I went out one day and the car wouldn't start and wouldn't, you know, I'm like, what's this? And then I started reading, you know, finally I read the manual. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, oh, I got, I got to, I got to hook up some jumper cables and the car energized and it, it and turned on. So, yeah. So th- again, that's the thing is that a lot of people are trying to equate EV ownership as a, as a direct analog replacement for their current gas cars. And that's certainly not the case. It, it drives differently. Um, it, it, uh, it has different maintenance requirements, less, but different. And, um, you know, uh, things like insurance rates are a little bit different. Um, it's just not, I don't think there is enough information out there that explains what you're getting into when you say, Hey, I want to buy an EV. And I'm just basically setting the groundwork for the average car buyer on, on how to, um, uh, figure out what this EV world is all about. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously with your depth of experience, I think you're going to do a great job. So um, I know we're, we're getting a little bit towards the end of our time contract here. I really appreciate you coming on before we let you go. I, I, I desperately want to know, you know, you, you've been through so much in the automotive space in the last, I don't even want to do the math. Cause I think that's going to make me, that's going to turn out with me being like <laughs> yeah. 45 or something. It's going to be yeah, really something offensive. like that. Yeah. A little yeah, over 45 years. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. hurtful. Um, you know, what, what were some of your favorite moments? I mean, non-EV related in, in your broad career, you know, I, I first became aware of you through Road and Trek. I've been a Road and Trek subscriber, I think since I was eight yeah. years old. So, uh, yeah, what were some of your favorites? What were some of the career highlights? And, uh, and I think, you know, since, since we are talking EVs, 
what were some of your, uh, you know, sort of favorite wow moments of, of the early EV days? Um, well, you know, the, the one car that really impressed me actually was a plug-in hybrid was the, uh, Porsche 918. Uh, oh, that yeah, thing, that was a car. I, I, I have never experienced acceleration like that in a vehicle. And I was doing a lead follow with Hurley Haywood, who was in a Porsche Turbo, and I could keep up with him. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I, I could never keep up with him. No, so I no, could no. Never. Hurley's and, a legend. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, in a 918, that was fun. Uh, so that was that was a real eye opener that uh, of the of the performance uh, possibilities. I think I I drove a Polestar and I really uh, uh, that's where I, I next snapping acceleration actually became real to me. I mean my head just went you know went sure, back. Sure, sure. And um and and I I, I really appreciate that that uh, it's an exciting time that there's different technologies out there and and fun. I still like gas cars. Um, you know, the most terrifying drive I ever had was um, an F40 at Fiorano, which was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I've, a lot of horsepower, I, I, I no like, gas, yeah. and no electronics, no thanks. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing. I mean, the the big safety thing in there is that it had massive brakes, which was really a good right. thing. I think could stop almost as fast or faster than than it could accelerate. But um, yeah, there's been a lot. I mean, I. I never thought I would own an electric car. You know, if you asked me five years ago, I would have like, eh, no, not really. You know, that's not my thing. But uh, I think uh, the move to electrification and driving things like plug-in hybrids and seeing the technology has really opened my eyes, and I'm I'm genuinely excited. I think that that we're at a point in the in, that the industry hasn't seen in, in 125 years, you know, at the beginning there was steam and electric and gas. Yeah. And I, I'm just fascinated by all the different um, uh, things that are happening. Fuel cells. That's a whole nother thing. That's pretty a whole, cool oh, yeah. technology. Pretty cool technology. I don't know if you so, saw uh, Pinaferina did a, they've got a, a project now that's, I think it's, it's, under production it's been greenlit they're going to build it in southeast asia where it's it's almost like a scuba tank where you pull out the hydrogen and put it oh yeah i saw that yeah 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 a quick a quick change kind of thing yeah yeah you know it's interesting we'll see how it goes and i i agree with you and you can also get a thing of propane too to take on the i I was just gonna say that i was just gonna say that so i don't know if you i mean i'm sure you remember but I, i got into this around 2008 2009 when the first financial when the first lifetime financial crisis yep. hit <laughs> of my lifetime yep. we've had like two more since but oh, yeah. um you know when i got into that in into that field we didn't know right like there was a real question like is it going to be biofuels you know t boone pickens was was pushing the the cng the the yeah. propane cars and oh, i yeah. I remember what you said earlier was like, you know, most people don't have a a gas station in their home. And I remember that line from people trying to get the car to run on propane. It's like, well, if you've got gas, a gas stove, you've got a gas station in your house, you can just plug into the car. And I had one of those as a demo. Yeah. I had a a Honda Civic that was a CNG car for for like three months or something. It was great. Um, Yeah. But it's just so funny. That was a big deal in California. And that, yeah, that's one of, they, they had the mandate, the zero emission mandate before, and that's how they interpreted the rules and CNG qualified as, as as a, 
I don't know if it was a, a, a full ZEV, but it, it, it generated it the, enough it credits. A, yeah, a PZEV, yeah. partial zero. Yeah. And then what's interesting, because I'm, I'm in the Midwest, I'm in Chicago, and there is a CNG corridor uh, across I-80 where, you know, if you're moving cattle or moving, you know, concrete yeah. or cement, you know, across across that I-80 corridor, there's a lot of trucks doing it with CNG because number one, it, it is less expensive. And number two, they get a ton right. of incentives to con- to do the conversion and they've got the hookups at their, um, you know, yeah. for, for some of these equipments and their terminals to do it. Terminals. Yeah. That's the word. Thank you. And it, it's just so funny because if I'm sitting there and I've got the contract to convert all the uh, R&L transport trucks to CNG, as far as I'm concerned, you know, natural gas one, I've got a $40 million contract <laughs> for the next 10 years. I'm done. Yeah. So it, it is yeah. so funny to, to say that we are in this place kind of where we were a hundred years ago. You're absolutely right. And uh, I, I just, I, to me, it's still not a foregone conclusion. I, it looks like EVs are going to win battery electric, but all it takes is one guy to come up with a really clever fuel cell that can be refueled real easy. Yeah. Don't you don't know. I, you know, and, and battery technology is evolving and other things are happening. I, you know, even you, you know, you were talking about, um, uh, T Boone Pickens with the biofuel Porsche has that e-fuel. Um, Oh, the Syngas. Yeah. And there's all these, yeah, Syngas, all this stuff. And, and so, uh, it, it's a tremendously exciting, but I think the electric drivetrain is has arrived. I mean, if you you were talking earlier oh, yeah. about the performance and all that other stuff, um, you know, all, even all of uh, the rate. And I love racing, and um, uh, you know, they're all going to hybrids. You know, yeah. the, the new yeah. the the new uh, class at uh, Le Mans and Daytona, um, the prototypes they. You know, because they get that kick off the corner with the torque. You they can't the match the, the torque corner, yeah. of an electric motor. Yeah. Well, and it adds so, a level of strategy to the racing. It adds the level of entertainment where they can defend and they can use it, you know, in a way. Where, and regen. And they can and use regen. regen. That That's yeah. the other part that it just blows me away. Is that, oh, well, in an endurance yeah. race, if you can use that regen and stay off the pads, you don't have to change the pads in the pits. That saves you yeah. 20 minutes here or there. It, it, right. It's really incredible. And what I love about it is that it's, it's a genuine performance. What do I mean by that? It, in IndyCar, they used to have, or they, I think they still do. They had the push to pass. Yeah, they at, still do. At, yeah. At Indianapolis. And what that did was that was seven opportunities, sometimes five, depending on the track where you could hit the button and it would allow you to over rev, I think by 700 RPM. And that would give you an advantage over the car next to you to pass. And that, always seemed to me to be very artificial. It was a little bit like, well, why seven? Why not a hundred? Why not a thousand? Why not let the guy just give it a shot? And if he blows his motor, he blows his motor, right? I mean, that's what they used to do in the old Menard days when they were doing the Buick motors, they would just fly apart halfway through the race, but the guy would be four laps ahead. Um, You know, so you love seeing stuff like that. And in this case, it is something where somebody using the regen can save time in the pits and the strategy. Somebody can maybe there's a caution. They want to, they're, they're now right up against the guy in front of them and they can use that electric torque to get ahead of that guy. If they have conserved enough charge. Exactly. I I just, I love that, that kind of authenticity that it brings back to it, where it, it just doesn't feel fake in the way that I won't pick on IndyCar too much because they have, they do what they do for, 
cost cutting reasons. Let's say Formula One sure. with the DRS, which I think right, is a little right. fake. Right, right. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And 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 it's it's you get out of it what you put into it, and and I yes. think that that's part of it, and that gets your point about the strategy. So it's cool. It's very cool. Well, Matt, I'm going to let you go. Uh, before you go, obviously, again, one more time, thank you so much. I, I've read so much of your stuff uh, over the years. And uh, it, it's a for me personally, it's just really cool to be talking to you and having this oh, conversation. Good. How do people uh, follow along with what you're doing these days? How do they go? And uh, more importantly, how do they go find the book? Well, they can find the book both on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's available in both paperback, Kindle, and Nook uh, formats. So you don't have a leather-bound hardcover edition. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, just paperback. And self-publishing was a real eye-opening thing. I've done books before um, for other publishers, but uh, self-publishing is really kind of a you know we could have a whole other discussion on that later. And um, and I also I, I I write. I'm a senior contributor for AutoEvolution.com, so you can follow whatever I'm up to there. There you go. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Matt. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. If you like what you hear, obviously, uh, you know, subscribe, follow us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, SoundCloud, and Andrew, I think we're on two or three others, right? We're on everything. Wherever you find podcasts, just find us, (laughs) hit subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.